You're fed up with a 9 to 5. You've been working hard for years and you're just not seeing the results you want. You want to break free from a traditional career but don't know how? Business Breaks is here to help. Subscribe now and rate and review on your favourite podcast platform. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Business Breaks. Today, I have a special guest, Billy Lahr, and he is an intentional living and mindfulness coach, certified personal trainer, former educator, and serial overthinker, which I can completely relate to. Billy is also the host of the Mindful Midlife Crisis, a podcast for people navigating the complexities and possibilities of life's second half. So Billy spent 21 years as an educator, but experienced burnout due to budding mental health concerns, social media harassment from students, and lack of job satisfaction. That sounds awful, Billy. And then, <laughs> look at <laughs> In 2021, Billy left his job as dean of students in order to travel the world in search of meaningful experiences and community. And since then, he's been a GPS for those seeking purpose and passion by helping them identify strengths, explore curiosities, synergize with their crew, and cultivate consistency, discipline, patience, and self-compassion. So, Billy, very happy to have you on the show. Welcome to Business Breaks. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Pleasure. So, I mean, you have such an interesting background and something we can all relate to in terms of being in jobs we don't really like. So what led you to leave your role as an educator and pursue that career on intentional living and mindfulness coaching? Yeah, I worked in education for 21 years. So I was an English teacher for 15 years, and then I moved into a dean of students role. And I was that for six years in you know, when you're a dean of students, you're never the good guy. You're always the bad guy. You're always delivering bad news. And I'm I'm someone, you know, I admit that I have certain people pleaser tendencies. So I'd like when people like me. So when when you're delivering bad news to students and to to parents, you know, it's it it just took a toll on me, and I I didn't enjoy it. And from from those experiences then came this really nasty social media harassment that that followed and that actually led to me having to report that to the police because it just got so intense so it just wasn't really satisfying for me anymore i i, I liked the times when when i was able to help students out but i was i was really feeling that burnout especially as we got into the covid school year so I took a leave from that job and then I actually traveled around for a while and went to Portugal, I went to Spain, I went to Dakar, I went to New York, Seattle, where I'm, where I'm in right now, and uh, uh, I went to Mexico and just kind of realized that, that there wasn't going to be a way for me to transition back into that role. Now, when you leave something that's as reliable and as structured as a job in education, there, there's a lot of terror in that. There was, you know, a, a lot of uncertainty. And to be honest, I'm someone who usually has a plan. 
So that uncertainty was really, really difficult to navigate. So I really had to think about, all right, what's my skill set? Where where am I good? What do people ask me? You know, where in what way do people ask me to help them out? And I still had this desire to help people. It's just that when I was a teacher, I did it through teaching English. And so now I, I, I help people by organizing, by helping them understand, first of all, what their strengths are and help them explore curiosity and help them find their community. And then in doing that, then we can, that to me creates purpose. And then we want to create passion. We don't start with passion. I'm so sick and tired of people saying, follow your passions. That's complete and utter nonsense. You don't follow your passions. Passions are a byproduct of first understanding what your purpose is and then multiplying that by consistency, discipline, patience, and self-compassion. You do all those things and then you have turned your purpose into passion. So I like helping people figure that stuff out. Not only that, but I also, you know, I came to mindfulness about 10 years ago and I use it as a way to manage the the, the emotional, uh, the mental health challenges that I was facing at that time. And so what I realized is that, wow, this mindfulness stuff is actually really benefiting me. This is, and it was palpable because even my students say, you seem like you're in a better mood this year. So I was like, man, if mindfulness can help a nut job like me, then is it possible that it could help other people as well? So then I started learning more about mindfulness and I wanted to be able to teach mindfulness to people. So I'm in the process now of becoming a certified mindfulness teacher so that I, you know, and I lead what I call meditate and mingle sessions. So that way it provides people an opportunity to unplug from whatever's going on in the world and move from doing mode into being mode where we can simply be present with what is. Because when we are too caught up in, in doing mode, then we're not actually listening to things like intuition. We're not exploring curiosity. We're, we're just in this automation. So hitting the pause button and providing a space for people to pause and permission for people to pause so that they can just simply be present with what is. I think it makes sense. And there's a, certainly a practical level in I wouldn't say esoteric faith, although there's some overlaps. And my journey into mindfulness came about, well, very early in my life. I got into transcendental meditation. And then I veered away from mindfulness, uh, which didn't really help. But I remember my family saying that when I was meditating, I was more calm. And again, it comes back to that intention. But then life takes over, right? And you you succumb to the pressures of society to conform to a certain <laughs> certain definition of success. And I guess this is where when you're trying to fit square pegs or round pegs into square holes, it, it becomes very difficult to kind of find that satisfaction. And I think it's very important, as you mentioned, about intentional living, because not every there's no one size fits all to what makes people happy so i think mindfulness being able to be self-aware helps define really what that customized definition or, or goal of or what success and happiness looks like i guess 
coming back to your expertise and experience, can you share some specific mindfulness practices that have guided you during your midlife transition and career change? Yeah, you know, the ones that I generally come back to are just breath work, right? Mindful breathing. So almost every morning, I will do a guided meditation where I am just simply present with my breath and and feeling the breath and and being aware of and the exhale and where I'm feeling that in the body. And that's something that we can all do. People will say, well, I don't have time to meditate. Yeah, you do. You you have three to five minutes. Let's say you're on the you'd say you're commuting to work. Let's say and you're driving. Now, I live in the States, so a lot of people drive. That three to five minutes where you park your car and walk into work, what if you just sit in the car and you just be present for three to five minutes? Just simply be with your breath and notice where you feel your breath. And and doing your best not to judging, to, to judge how the breath feels. And just what is what is present? That's a way that you could do it. And that's three to five minutes. For me, I am very intentional around understanding in the moment mindfulness, in the moment awareness. And that for me starts by understanding my somatic experience. So what is my body trying to communicate to me? And if I'm stressed or if I'm having anxiety, I always feel it in my stomach first. So if I recognize that feeling in my stomach because I've been able to tune into it, and I can say, oh, wait, you're feeling a bit anxious right now. And it's not, it's not time to explore where the anxiety is coming from. It's just an awareness of, oh, hey, this is what anxiety feels like. So now that we know what it feels like, just let's move into a, a position of responding, knowing that you're feeling this. Rather than reacting out on the emotion, responding, knowing that the emotion is present. And I used to do that when I was teaching all the time. I'd be standing up at the board talking about Romeo and Juliet, and I could feel anxiety bubbling inside of me. And what I think a lot of people try to do is they try to push the anxiety away. They try to shove it away. When you do that, the anxiety pushes back. And usually the anxiety is stronger. So then what does it do? It For me, it would just start going into my chest. Well, now I found this shortness of breath. I've got my shoulders hunched over. So it, for me, it wasn't so much about pushing it away as just recognizing that it's present. Here it is. And now that I know that, I can get my students doing what they need to do. And then I can go to my desk and I can practice some breath work while I'm sitting there so that I can continue to manage it. And if a, a kid is acting ridiculous and I have to address their behavior, I can do that from a place of responding as opposed to reacting. So those are kind of the big keys for me is just sitting with breath work but then also understanding that somatic experience. And for another thing that I use is name and tame. So it's kind of like, I mean, just having this conversation in my head with myself, like you're thinking you're this, rather than you are this, you're thinking that you're this and that your thoughts are not who you are. 
that these are just thoughts and that thought will come and go. So it's not saying I am this. I am thinking that I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough becomes I am thinking I am not good enough. And then I can kind of have that, where is that coming from? Why am I thinking that right now? Okay. So this is where, so here's some, this is where that's coming from. Is there some evidence to the contrary to that? Yeah. Yeah, there is. So then having that conversation with myself and it, you, you know, it doesn't take as long as what this conversation is that you and I are having. It's just something that your brain does as you give more practice with it, but it does take a lot of practice and you have to be intentional around it. Yeah, I agree. It takes a lot of psychological dis, um, discipline to disassociate yourself from the situation and from who you think you are and your self-identity, which has been built up over decades of throwing up and having all this feedback from various external influences. And it usually starts from your parents, I dare say, uh, who will you know, well-meaning a lot of the, t most of the time, try and define you uh, and put labels on you, which you, if you're not conscious of it, and let's face it, most kids aren't, will just accept it and take it as a given. So it's, uh, it's very fascinating to see that if you strip out all of that, it almost, it takes away certain limitations, but then at the same time, in terms of situations, which are otherwise stressful you it's almost like you're in the driver's seat by being able to step back and observe rather than act out as if you had no no control over your own script in your life i guess well that idea of the driver's seat reminds me of my favorite quote from eddie vetter the mm. lead singer from pearl jam he said that that person that you used to be is in the car with you and will always be in the car with you. But under no circumstances did you let that person get back behind the wheel. Even if they are kicking and screaming, do not let that person get behind the wheel. And so then it becomes a process of how do you, how do you talk to that person? How do you talk that version of yourself that's kicking and screaming in a way that de-escalates whatever that emotion is or whatever that past behavior is. And because the good news is that used to be a default behavior, but if you're working on yourself, then it no longer is a default behavior, but it's still inside of you. So then just being aware of, oh, hey, this is, a, this is an old behavior right here. These are old patterns. So let me just be mindful of that and recognize why that's popping up. And then and then being able to say, okay, I see where this is, but I'm not that person anymore. I can move forward from this. And that takes that takes a lot of work. Like it takes a lot of self-talk in order to do that. And it's not something that happens overnight. But you know, most change doesn't happen in big swings. Most change happens in increments. So it's just a matter of like, that's why I keep saying being intentional, right? Is, is so important because we, we do have to do, we do have to make a plan to do these things. If we want to feel that change, if we want to see that change. Yeah, that's very transformative and you're right. It's 
you're talking about changing patterns of behavior, habits, routines, in order to affect a different outcome. And that, in essence, is transformation. You have to change first before the results change. And again, it it is really applicable across all areas, both in your personal and your professional life. And I guess if you allow me to go into the kind of business context, how do you find practicing mindfulness positively impacts decision-making, especially, I guess, with regard to stress management in a business context? Yeah, so I wish I could remember the quote from Viktor Frankl, but every every mindfulness teacher is supposed to have this tattooed on their body somewhere. But the general principle of, of this quote is that they're, they're between stimulus and response there is a space and in that space there is the freedom of there there is there is choice excuse me that there is choice and in that choice lies freedom i mean so from a business sense i i can't imagine making an emotionally reactive or impulsive decision is is beneficial now sometimes you might have to make an impulsive decision, but I'm willing to bet that you're using past experience in order to make that decision. And it probably works out. It probably doesn't. But I think particularly when we're sitting in conversation with somebody, particularly, I mean, even if it's a conversation of conflict, that's where I, that somatic experience really comes into play. I will notice if how I'm sitting, if, are my hands tense? If I'm sitting cross-legged, am I squeezing my legs together right now? And how much is that adding tension? Where am I breathing? Am I hiking my shoulders up? Are, are, am I stiff in my shoulders? Am I furrowing my brow? All of those things are stress responses. And the more that we sit like that, the more our body is communicating to our brain that we are in danger. And we're not in danger. We're not in danger, but it's communicating to us that we are in danger. So what happens is the amygdala, which is the animal part of our brain, the fight, flight, or fright part of our brain, that starts to fire up. So mindfulness actually shrinks to the amygdala so that that cools down. And it also builds up the gray matter in the prefrontal cortex, which is designed to regulate emotion. So that's kind of, that's the beauty of practicing mindfulness. That's the beauty of meditation is that we're able to physiologically change the way that our brain makes decisions. Makes sense. And thank you for sharing that insight. Um, I guess coming back to intentional living and how it helps with achieving whatever your definition of success is for life. Can you elaborate what does intentional living mean to you and how does it relate to that success in both personal and professional life? Yeah, you know, I think we're, I used to teach a class called Search for Meaning. And I think we're all kind of in that way searching for our purpose. And some people have figured out their purpose. And some people, you know, they're, they're, they know what their purpose is, but maybe they're just not working 
in that field, right? And mm-hmm. I'll tell you this, I don't necessarily think that every single person has to be in a job that fulfills their purpose. Your purpose might be fulfilled outside of your nine to five, right? So I think that's important to to illustrate too. But it is important to understand, all right, what is my purpose? Why am I here? And so the first step in that for me is to help people understand what their strengths, weaknesses, and needs are. Because if we're able to do that, then I'm able to say, all right, what are three strengths that give you the most return on your investment? Where do you like where do you see the most growth in those three strengths? All right, now what three weaknesses get in the way the most often? Not that we remove those, but we just become aware when those are getting in the way so that we can slow down those default behaviors. Because that's what they are, is their default behaviors. And then we take a look at what our, our needs are. All right, so where are your needs being met? And are there some needs that are not being met? Are there some needs that are being neglected? And so what are you doing in order to satisfy those needs? And if that's in your control, let's make a plan to satisfy that need. But then I also think it's important to explore our curiosities because curiosity provides us with this window of opportunity that allows our our experience allows allows us to be experiential it allows us to seek out other people in order to make connections and it provides us an opportunity to just like ask questions and learn more mm-hmm. and this whole idea of of you know you don't stop playing because you get old. You get old because you stop playing. It relates to curiosity because curiosity impacts the neuroplasticity of your brain. We want to really work to keep our brain healthy as we get older. We want to be able to see different perspectives. I think that's really important. And then, like I said, the, the idea of the crew, that's crucial because the you know the longest running study on happiness from Harvard says that our community impacts our happiness. So who are we surrounding ourselves with? And are those people providing us opportunities in order to amplify our message, explore our curiosities, live with more joy? Because you know, I've I, I remember that quote from the book Into the Wild with Christopher Camlis, where he says, happiness only real when shared. And there are moments that where I've done things by myself and I'm like, oh, that was really cool. But the I think the ones that stand out the most is when I'm with friends or when I'm with family or if I'm with loved ones. And those are the moments that really stand out. Or if it's a team effort in meeting some success. So then how are you surrounding yourself with the right people who synergize with your strengths and are also curious about the same things that you are. And we have to be intentional around that. Sometimes it just happens naturally. But if we if but if it's not happening naturally and we're we're in limbo or we're stuck or we're uncertain, then we have to take some time to really reflect on, okay, what are my strengths? What are the weaknesses getting in the way? What needs are not being met? What are things that I'm curious about? And who can I talk to about those things? 
And if we're able to do that, we're able to find our purpose. Makes sense. And very deep. Thank you. Yeah. So do you have any examples of individuals who transition into intentional living and then saw significant improvements in their business and personal lives? More so in, in their personal lives. So in that meditate and mingle session, I have a young man who comes every single week and he's actually a former student of mine. And, you know, he's been coming now since, well, I think maybe, I think since the new year. So probably around January. So we're on about 10 months. And just from, he, he, he has a lot of energy like me. I, people always joke with me. They're like, you practice meditation. You, you practice mindfulness. You seem like you're kind of high strung. And I'm like, I am. I'm very high strung. I'm very high anxiety. I'm very high energy, but I practice mindfulness so that I can be this level of obnoxious because if I didn't, I would be an out of control a-hole. So that's why I practice it. And he's, he's very much a perfectionist and he, just like me, we have a lot in common and he's kind of rushing through things. So I've been working with him and saying, Hey, maybe throughout the day, where can you find moments to just simply press pause on, on throughout the day? And he's been doing that more and more and more. And he said that I just, I, I feel less stressed than I normally would. And so to me, I think that that's, a significant just life gain, personal gain to feel less stressed. And in doing so, he said that he's exploring these other opportunities now uh, within uh, within his company. And so mm. I think that has given him the opportunity to, because he, he was also like, you know, I don't know if I want to do this. And I said, well, here's the thing. Are you leaving this job because you don't see any potential for growth? Or do you see, you know, is, is it just something, because if you, if you go somewhere else and you still have the same stress, wherever you go, there you are. So it's, it, whatever this feeling is, if you think getting a new job is going to get rid of that feeling, it might, but it also might not. So what are you doing to alleviate some of that stress so that you can make decisions with more clarity? And so that's what we've been working on, and he's seen significant growth in that. Sounds amazing. And thank you for that. Uh, I I wish your student all the best. <laughs> and uh, and I'm sure I'm sure it will benefit him because, yeah, one book that really benefited me many years ago at the early start of my career was the big book of Calm, and it, it has some mindfulness techniques. And it's just just really about the importance of being calm in any situation. I think I took it to another level in certain situations where people thought I was being relaxed and probably misinterpreted it as a disengagement sometimes. But, you know, sometimes it takes a lot to step back from the situation, not get dragged into any drama to try and assess, well, what's going on and then how can we... How can we address the issue at hand? But um, it's 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 interesting. How do you find mindfulness? Have you ever seen any examples of it being incorporated into leadership practices in a business context to create a more positive work environment? A lot of places. I mean, Google has their own mindfulness coordinator. 
Wow. So yeah, yeah. I think he, but he's. I think his official title is Jolly Good Fellow. I can't remember what his name is, but no. That there's. I mean, you take a look at a lot of athletes, star athletes practice mindfulness. They they practice meditation. I've talked to a lot of executive coaches over the past few months, and they're working with executives, and they're processing through. Not only are they processing through you know, just kind of doing the deeper work like that. But part of that deeper work is cultivating a mindfulness practice. So you see a lot of people in Fortune 500 who have established this healthy mindfulness practice or meditation practice because they know that it's beneficial for them. And I think the reality is that almost everybody out there knows that mindfulness and meditation is beneficial for them. And just like they know, vegetables are beneficial for them. But because vegetables aren't sexy, you don't eat them as often. Because mindfulness isn't sexy, you don't practice it. You, you say to yourself, I know I should, I know I should, but then we don't. So for me, I kind of look at mindfulness as a way of hydrating the mind. We need to hydrate our bodies. Mindfulness is a way of hydrating the mind. So I think most executives, they know the benefits of that and they do carve out time to do it. And so those of us who you know are, are not necessarily in, in high CEO leadership roles like that, maybe just the, the, the Willie Lomans, the average workers out there, the every man, every woman, how can we add, or how can we cultivate, you know, a, a, a a sense of, of calm throughout our day. And I think it's just finding those three to five minute moments of practicing mindfulness. And then also recognizing that, oh, hey, I may actually have time. I may have 10 minutes to just sit in meditation. And people will say, well, no, I don't, I don't, I don't. I bet you probably have 10 minutes to scroll on your phone, whether you recognize it or not. And I bet that's not intentional at all. That's probably mindlessness. So what if you were actually intentional around sitting and being present with what is rather than going to the phone in between a meeting and sending that last second email? What if you just cooled your brain down with a sense of mindfulness? Makes sense. And yeah, in order to take new information, you have to be present in the moment and if you're in a meeting and you're not paying attention, what's the point being there? So I completely agree. And have you got any examples of where you've seen leaders prioritize mindfulness in the organization? And what sort of results have you noticed in studies or observations? None that I could quote off the top of my head. The, the best resource for that would be John Kabat-Zinn. So John Kabat-Zinn has done extensive research on the, benefic- the benefits of mindfulness. So in, in, you, you just see kind of the, the, the general benefits of, of reduced rumination, you know, improved, improved uh, just kind of lowering your, your stress levels, things like that, right? So you see these benefits throughout. So... I mean, kind of taking a look at that. Do I have specific examples? No, I don't have anything specific. 
No, that's fair enough. And thank you for sharing those resources and I'll put them in the show notes. I guess summarizing the key insights, mindfulness is important. You have to be self-aware in order to understand and not react to circumstances, even high-pressure situations. And as you say, it really helps with business because you make better decisions and also in your personal life you I think more so from what you've shared that you just end up being a happier person because you're more aligned with your with your your qualities your values your beliefs and your strengths um is there I guess taking it to the other part of your uh, your uh, your services in terms of helping people through midlife crisis how do you f- what sort of people do you find who, who come to you for their services? Are these people who are completely misaligned and aren't really aware of the importance of mindfulness and intentional living? No, I think it's, I th- what I'm finding is that it's people who are they're just not sure which direction to go. Mm. They're uncertain and that the, the haven't taken the time to unpack all of the resources that they already know they have available to them. So really all I'm doing really? is, is yeah, I, I, yeah, n- nobody here has, I'm going to guess everybody listening knows what to do, but they just don't know how to unpack what they need to do. I would say that, that like for me, I am not here to, Hey, Billy. Sorry, I lost you there for a second. Yeah, no, no worries. I'm not sure if that was on my end or no idea. Probably my end. It said I was disconnected, so it might even be the platform. So, um, I think you were talking about yeah. I I went off on a tangent on mindfulness and midlife crisis. So feel free, yep. I can edit it back. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I know what you were talking about there. So I'll just I'll just start the answer over. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so I'll, okay. I'll pause. They they know the answers to how to get there, but it's very much tucked away. It's they, so we just need to unpack that. They have the experiences, they have the resources, they have the know how, but because so much of life is getting in the way, they haven't really taken the time to just be present with what resources they actually have available to them, what skills they actually have available to them, what strengths they actually have available to them. So I'm not planting seeds whatsoever. I'm just watering them. I'm taking what they already know and bringing it to the forefront and then reinforcing that, hey, this is always here. And then I'm asking them questions too, getting them to think about things I'm not, I'm not trying to tell them what to think, but I'm asking them, well, have you thought about this or have you thought about that? Where is that coming from? And a lot of times you'll see that people, they'll talk in circles, but then they'll come back to what they know is the truth to them, to what they know is their truth. So in a lot of ways, it's just, it's just processing through the, the minutiae that they have consumed throughout their life and bringing to the forefront what the really, really good resources are, 
bringing to the forefront their awareness of their strengths and skill sets are so that they then can see that, okay, I actually do have, I am able to do this. But then the real nitty gritty work, once you know, once you have that awareness, then comes the structure, then comes the routine, then comes the discipline, then comes the consistency. So that's where I think most people fall short. So we have to do a time inventory and take a look at, all right, where do you have time for this? And we're not necessarily trying to maximize every minute of the day, but we're just trying to say, hey, you, you maybe be able to do a little bit here, a little bit there. You might have to actually build in breaks throughout the day where you just chill and you do scroll on your phone mindlessly. Then I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. What I'm saying is if you're doing it in those moments when it might actually be beneficial for you, more beneficial for you to be present with what is. But if you want to, if you want to scroll on your phone, build in a little scroll on the phone break for yourself. That's fine. You don't have to then live your life that regimented, but if you're stuck we do want to create some structure. We do want to create a routine and a regiment so that we can get unstuck and move forward. Because, you know, there are moments where it's like, okay, I need to set aside some of the some of the things that are not getting me to where it is that I want to go. And then if we do that and then we execute on the things that move the needle we're going to find that, oh, this actually feels good. A friend of mine the other day said that, you know, she was traveling and she was like, I really miss traveling. I miss being, she was in Argentina. I miss Buenos Aires. But you know, when you come back and you love your routine, it's not so bad. And I was like, that is beautiful. Because if you love your routine and if you love the people that are around you, you know what? Life isn't so bad. So let's find a routine that actually is productive, but also elicits a little bit of joy, elicits a little bit of downtime. So we can structure in those things. Brilliant. And thank you, Billy. That is really insightful. So I think we're at the end of the show. Uh, I just have a few final questions for you. Yeah. What three books would you recommend? Three books that I would recommend are well, anything by Adam Grant, I think is 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 poignant. Uh, there's a book by Mark Williams called Mindfulness. I think that that is a, a really excellent book. And then you know, just a, a a book to it's not necessarily it's not necessarily self help, but Man's Search for Meaning I think is a really really poignant book because. It provides this perspective of how we do search for meaning from the eyes of Viktor Frankl, who essentially came up with this idea while in Auschwitz. So it's it's really incredible. How do people find meaning in, in abnormal places? How do we find them in normal places? It's, it's very well written, very, very insightful. So I, I highly encourage that one. That's brilliant. Yeah, and agree completely. Um, I remember one of my f first managers told me that people can put up with anything as long as there's some meaning behind it. And, yeah. you know, yeah, Victor Frankl, case in point, and an excellent book recommendation, if I may say so. 
Uh, Billy, it's been a pleasure. Where can our listeners get get in touch with you online if they are interested in finding more about you? Yeah. So you can go to www.mindfulmidlifecrisis.com and join the newsletter there. That's also where you can join the Meditate and Mingle sessions that I host. If you want more information, you can click on the banner at the top there. I can be emailed at billy at mindfulmidlifecrisis.com. I'm on Instagram and I travel a lot. So if people out there are like, oh, where's he now these days? It's kind of like, where's Waldo in a sense? You can go to Billy, or excuse me, you can go to mindful underscore midlife underscore crisis on Instagram. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Billy Lahr, L-A-H-R. Brilliant, Billy. And I'll make sure that the links are in the show notes. Billy, you've been an amazing guest. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. I'm Dan Tahili. You've been listening to Billy La, and this is Business Breaks. Thank you very much. Thank you, Billy. Thank you. Business Breaks, all things business podcast with Dante Haley and John Byrne.